0: Coming back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to live grief support, podcast stickers, giveaways, and so much more, head on over to patreon.com/slash shelbyforcythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. On today's show, I'm talking to longtime Instagram friend, Emily Ruth, about grief and the body. Multiple miscarriages and the death of her twin sons are just a few of the losses that make her describe her grief like a plane crashing into the ground. Also on the show today, I'm sharing my bereavement cruise presentation with all of you. It's all about honoring secondary loss, the invisible, unspoken losses that often stay silent in the aftermath of death. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to Coming Back. Thank you so much for listening today. This week, I am away from the mic and away from Chicago on the much anticipated, I can't believe it's finally here, 2019 bereavement cruise. If you are emailing me or texting questions to the show or commenting on my posts on Facebook, I promise you I will see them eventually, just uh, when I return to the States on March 10th. Those of you who are on the boat with me, thank you so, so much, and I am so excited to meet you in person. I am recording this podcast, of course, in advance of our trip, but I am sure we are having a great time together on the bereavement cruise. Those of you who are tuning in, uh, like usual, this week from your homes, from your cars, at work, etc., I want to share with you the workshop that I'm going to be teaching on board, which kind of like a mini condensed version, if you will, because the actual workshop itself is going to be about an hour and a half. Because I think this tool, what I'm sharing on board is something that everyone can use. It's information that I think all of us need while we're grieving. And whether you couldn't make the trip due to work or money or health or kids or just a conflicting event this time of year, or maybe the bereavement cruise just didn't speak to you and your grief right now, uh, I want you to be able to partake in this experience in some way. So here we go. The workshop I'm leaning on board is called Honoring Secondary Loss, and it's all about giving voice to and giving words to all of the losses that seem to fall like dominoes around our big primary loss. Most everyone on the 2019 bereavement cruise has had a loved one die. So for all intents and purposes this week, I'll be working from the model of death of a loved one, although this can also apply to divorce diagnosis and other losses as well. So everybody knows the world knows your big primary loss. We'll call it the primary loss here. They know that your dad died or your sister was killed in a car accident or your best friend got cancer and died or your dog was run over or you had a miscarriage or you lost a child or your grandmother died in her sleep. Something has happened where your your life has gone in such a way where someone you love has died. And that kind of big grief, this primary grief is usually public. It's published in newspapers and online obituaries. There are ceremonies and memorial services for it. There are rituals to follow. And a lot of times, especially in our digital age, these days, there are support groups for the kind of loss that you face the specific brand of death that has rolled into your life. So the big loss or the primary loss, whatever it is for you is the loss that's seen on the outside. This is what the world sees. It's the one that people talk about when they talk about you, as in, oh, she lost her dad six weeks ago. Oh, he and her wife lost their baby. His grandmother just died. It's the loss that sits at the top of the pyramid and kind of dominates and trickles down and bleeds through every other element of your life. But the thing I want to talk about today, the the focus of this workshop is secondary loss. It's all of these other small, unspoken, minuscule, but very, very important losses that we face as a result of this big primary loss. There are secondary losses that come alongside it instantly, the things you lose the instant someone dies, the losses that are kind of revealed or reveal themselves to you over time, and the losses that you uncover and frankly are sometimes surprised by or shocked by. So in my own world, my big loss, my primary loss was the loss of my mom. It totally tore my world apart. And when my family saw me when my friends saw me when my college professors saw me when I returned to school, the words out of their mouth were, I'm so sorry for the loss of your mom. So my mom is the primary thing that I lost. But underneath and within and surrounding her death, I lost so much else, and these are what I would consider my secondary losses. So in this first category, the category of instant losses, things that happened instantaneously when she died, I lost my emotional idea of home. I felt like I no longer had a place to go home to. I lost faith in God and justice, and if we're just good enough, then we live happy and long lives. So something with religion and the meaning of life and the purpose of why we're here, the bottom absolutely fell out of that when she died. I lost, and this is a big one for all of us grief growers, the ability to touch, hug, hold, and be physically comforted by my mom. I lost the sound of her voice and the way she looked when she was standing in front of me, I lost the ability to get in touch with her whenever I wanted in person or over the phone or on Facebook Messenger. So all of these things, I lost physical touch, I lost communication, and I lost my idea of home and safety and frankly, innocence, the moment she died. In the second category, this category of loss is revealed over time. A lot of you know, if you've listened to earlier episodes of this show, I lost my creativity, something I realized a few months after my mom died. My joy to, like, make stuff was gone. I lost my health pretty drastically, growing very, very sick in the years following her death. It's something I'm still recovering from. I lost the person who was going to be the most proud of me at my graduation six months after her death. And then in that recognition, I recognized she would not be here for the other milestones. So for my wedding or moving to Chicago or all these other kind of trail markers as well. And over time, I'm continuing to realize that I'm losing her continued advice and perspective and something, it's just something I really feel that I continue to need, both for the good things and the bad things that are happening in my life. And lastly, in this third category, the category of losses that totally blindsided me and surprised me, I lost my voice for song, for music, something I was born with, I was singing before I could talk. Um, and I didn't realize I had lost my voice until I started singing again, two whole years after my mom died, and my voice sounded totally different than who I was before. And it's not that tonally it was different, it was just coming from a different place in my body. And I was like, "Whoa, that's kind of unexpected and, and a little crazy. Um, second weird thing surprised me uh, is I lost my ability to call any of my friends' moms mom or anyone else in my life who jokingly referred to themselves as my mother. I'm like, the word mom will not escape my lips again unless I'm talking about my own mother. Um, I lost a lot, a lot of my extroversion and prefer now to spend a ton of time kind of going through the world solo, where I used to not operate that way. Uh, And I lost for a long time, my connection to other women, especially people who are my mother's age. And probably the most surprising thing to me, but probably the most normal thing that I lost when I lost my mom, I lost my ability to look at anyone I meet in the world without automatically thinking, oh, someday they're gonna die. That's pretty jarring, this this uh, sudden, realization that literally everyone around you is going to die a big surprise so a primary loss is a big loss grief growers in and of itself there are so many secondary losses underneath it though too ones that don't get acknowledged or talked about or addressed the same way that our big primary losses do they kind of get they kind of get talked around in support groups and in online forums and in books and things like that, but they don't always get directly stared in the face and acknowledged. So some things I'm picked up from all of you in the Grief Growers Garden and from all of the books and things that I'm reading and continue to read, some secondary losses that we can have are losing our ability to think straight, to drive, to balance a checkbook. We can lose our money due to funeral costs, reckless behavior, having to become a caretaker for someone else all of a sudden. We can lose our identity, and this is a big one, as a daughter, as a spouse, as a friend, as a parent, as a son, as a primary caregiver, as a sister or a brother or a co-worker. We can lose our minds or feel like we're losing our minds, manifesting as anxiety, depression, mental health issues, perhaps for the first time, insomnia, just overwhelming brain fog this feeling that we're going crazy we can of course of course of course lose our health through stress or diagnosable illnesses or those unexplainable aches and pains that sometimes crop up in the aftermath of loss and we can lose our joy expressing ourselves through art or music or even just a desire to go outside it is radically important that we honor our secondary losses by speaking them. Some people would phrase this as speaking them to power, speaking them to knowing, or bringing them into the light. Um, It's really important that we identify them and say, oh, I see you. You, this loss, the secondary loss, you were part of the big loss, but no one has acknowledged you yet. No one has come and and taken your hand and, and asked you to come along on the journey. And we don't walk up to people and say, I lost $10,000 in the last two months, I lost my primary sex partner, I lost my ability to eat, we say, my spouse died. And everything else related to it is kind of, it's below the surface, it's secret, it's hidden, it's, it's quiet, you know. But keeping all of these secondary losses to ourselves does two things, grief growers, it keeps them small and secret and tiny and voiceless. And it can often make us feel like we're facing this landslide of unspoken losses all alone, all by ourselves. And from my perspective and in my experience, I feel like I can't come back from what I can't identify or give voice to. So even just saying something along the lines of like, in my mother's death, I feel like I lost my creativity. I'm like, oh, the creativity is gone. So maybe I need to create some kind of ritual for that. Or maybe I can focus on other creative pursuits in the meantime, or try other outlets to, to bring it back. Or maybe I can look at it and say, maybe creativity is not necessary right now. But once you name it, you can start to, to befriend it and then start to make decisions about how you wanna operate with this secondary loss as well. With every primary loss, there are secondary losses whether you realize and feel them instantly, or they show up with time, or they come up and surprise you, they certainly exist. And these secondary losses may feel even stronger or even worse than the primary loss. Please know that the phrasing of primary and secondary is not about strength or depth or emotion or pain. It's about what the world sees and acknowledges and what it does not. This is just a little snippet of what I'll be sharing this week on the 2019 bereavement cruise. I'll be sharing a post in my Facebook group, The Grief Grower's Garden, about primary and secondary loss and asking you to name some primary and secondary losses from your own life. So if you'd like to share with us, please join by clicking the link in the show notes or by searching The Grief Grower's Garden on Facebook. You can also share your secondary losses with me live during my monthly hangout, which is taking place Monday, March 25th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. All you have to do to join us is to pledge at any level on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Shelby And of course, you can always find that link as well in the show notes. Next up, my conversation with Emily Ruth, who's talking about grief and the body after multiple miscarriages and the loss of her premature sons. One of the most helpful things I've found in my loss, Grief Growers, is a witness to my journey Beyond feeling that I'm not alone, although that's extremely helpful in the aftermath of loss, I feel like by sharing my story with someone else, I have a sounding board, a guide, and someone who's just a little bit farther ahead on the road than I am. There is camaraderie and small growing strength and confidence in finding a grief coach who can companion you, walk alongside you, and you're coming back. I want to be the person to hold this space for you on a one on one level. If you're looking for more focused attention on your heart, whether you're coping with death, divorce, diagnosis, or something else, please head to shelbyforsythia.com slash grief dash coaching to receive more information about the types of grief coaching I offer and to fill out an interest form. That's shelbyforsythia.com slash grief dash coaching. I'm here to be your companion toolbox and shoulder in grief. You can also find a link in the show notes. Emily Ruth is acquainted with a variety of grief journeys, including death, divorce, chronic health issues, and infertility. She has reclaimed her life amidst these struggles and enjoys supporting other women in doing the same through reconnecting with their bodies. Emily is a dancer, writer, teacher, lifelong learner, coach, and former doula. She is married and has four children, two of which are living, and even though she only has one cat, she totally embraces the term cat lady. In fact, she sees it as a compliment. Emily loves herbal tea, roller skating, and supporting women through all kinds of transitions, birth, death, and everything in between. Emily Ruth, I am so delighted to have you on the show today because we've been circling each other's orbits on Instagram for quite a long time, Uh, and I love just how honest you are in your posts about grief and loss about our bodies about emotions about just like being alive in the world and how devastating and how amazing that can often be so i'm excited to have you on the show as a guest and to have you share your stories with us uh, and the first story of course that we'll introduce is of course your lost story and relationship with grief
1: Well, Shelby, I want to thank you for having me on the show. I've been a longtime listener and follower and have really benefited from all your guests who have so generously shared their lost stories with us. It's an honor to hear their stories, and I am grateful for the opportunity to share mine with you and your listeners today. So, in the past, I've really struggled to know how to share my lost story. I haven't quite known how to tell it. Not that there's one right way. But I wouldn't say I felt like I could really capture the essence of my experience in the past. And in thinking about why that is, I've realized it is because I feel like mine is really a losses story. (laughs) While there is kind of one definitive moment of loss, it really just felt like it was 10 long years of loss after loss after loss compounded. And I'm certain that many of your listeners resonate with that feeling. I've had this image in my mind, um, you know, comparing it to a plane flight. So I'm on a plane flight. I'm going on this trip, planning to arrive at some beautiful destination. I've got my bags packed. I think I have everything and everyone I need with me. And then there is this unexpected crash landing and there is one big initial hit to the earth. It's rough, but the plane keeps skidding and colliding with things as it goes along Parts of the wreckage are just flying off the plane as we go along. And it's not just one collision. It's a series of hits and crashes. And that is really what the last 10 years felt like. So I'll share what led up to the catalyst loss, if you will, and then briefly get into the series of smaller losses that followed. Uh, I married young. I met my first husband my freshman year of college, and we got married when I was 19. I did turn 20 soon after that, but I was 19 when we married. I was a performer, a dance major in school, and an actress by trade, so I didn't plan to have children right away. I really just wanted to dance and enjoy married life, so our first pregnancy was not planned, and after taking that test, I was really nervous and unsure of how my life plans were going to shift, but I knew that at some point I wanted to be a mother and I was married to a really gentle man who I knew would make a great dad. So I very quickly got into the head and heart space of making room for this baby and our family. And just after we had announced our pregnancy, so I think it was around 13 weeks, we lost that baby to miscarriage. And I felt surprised by the grief that came along with that loss. I know that you've had some guests on your show who have spoken to that experience of miscarriage. And it's really tough and, and tough that it's not much talked about. I wasn't prepared for it. I, I didn't really have the coping skills to deal with that loss. And so I dove right back into my education, into my passion. I was also dancing professionally by that point. So I just really you know focused on my work and kind of brushed that experience under the rug. I didn't allow myself to feel it. Um, a few years later, we were eventually able to have our first son. I was 26 and just primed for being a mother. I felt so ready and I had a beautiful, empowering pregnancy and birth. I, I realized that I intensely loved the experiences of pregnancy and birth and, and getting so in tune with my body. I loved researching everything I could about it. I actually became a trained birth doula. If your listeners know what that is, a doula supports women in pregnancy and birth. So I loved it. And, um, about 10 months after our son was born, I became pregnant again, and I had wanted my children to have siblings close in age and and to have close relationships. So I was really excited for this pregnancy. Um, at around 14 weeks, I had some bleeding and i thought i was miscarrying again by this point i'd had a handful of miscarriages um that i'd kind of like i said just kind of pushed them under the rug i didn't really allow myself to feel them so i was when we went in for the ultrasound i was preparing to hear once again that my baby didn't have a, bar- a heartbeat and i braced myself for that you know um but what we heard was that not only did my baby have a strong heartbeat, but that there were two strong heartbeats. And I was ecstatic. To this day, there have been very few moments where I felt such joy just electrify my body. I I felt so deeply. It, I, it was like every square inch of my body just felt I mean the hair on my head felt excited. It it was amazing. It was it was such a beautiful experience. And um we had been seeing a midwife. I had had my first son at home with a midwife and so we were seeing a midwife, but after discovering we were having twins, we transferred care to an obst- obstetrician. And they ran all the tests and did all the things that they do with a twin pregnancy to make sure that things were progressing well and that everyone was healthy. And it just, it all just felt so exciting. And, um, but at about 20 weeks, so about halfway through my pregnancy, things really shifted and this melancholy mood sort of settled into my being. I started having these premonitions. I started having dreams that something wasn't right with my babies, that something wasn't right with my pregnancy and i i could still tell you about 10 vivid moments that i that i felt this i asked my doctor to do all the tests to double check that things were good everything looked fine shelby they they couldn't find one thing i was told i was in the healthiest category of women my babies were in the healthiest categories of of twin pregnancies i had been active i ate well my babies looked great it all looked okay but i I didn't feel okay in my heart. I remember one day I had taken my son for a walk in his stroller. At this point, I think he was a little bit over a year old. And we were walking around the block on this cloudy day. And I remember so distinctly looking up at the sky. The clouds were gathering just right above me. Full, dark clouds. I mean, it was like exquisite. And it looked beautiful and sad. And I just remember feeling grief stricken, like inexplicably so. In fact, this was really before cell phone cameras were a thing. So that tells you how long ago this was. But I had gotten into the habit of taking a small digital camera with me to capture all my older son's little moments. You know, he was just over a year. And so I wanted to catch all these moments, the the new facial expressions, the new discoveries, the, the smiles, all of that. So I carried this little camera around with me everywhere. And so when I looked up into the cloudy sky and I felt this overwhelming grief, I actually took a picture. I somehow knew this was a moment I needed to take in and even document. It was a clear premonition for me that something was coming. The night before my babies were born, so it it was actually the night before Halloween, we had been watching comedy shows on television. I was like trying to boost this, this, you know, shake this melancholy mood and and boost my mood. And I just couldn't laugh. Like all of our favorite shows, I couldn't laugh. And I told my husband, I just wanted to go to bed. And I did. And I woke up during the night briefly. And I remember hearing the train that runs a few miles away. And um, in fact, I, I, I live two streets from where we lived at that time. I, I live two streets from there now, and I can still hear the train at night. But I woke up and I heard this train, and, and I had the thought that someone was leaving my life. It didn't make sense rationally, you know, like, but it was so vivid. And um, the next morning, I woke up and, and decided to call the doctor. I told them something was off, something didn't feel right but that wasn't a physical sensation. It, it was an emotional one. And so they asked me if I had had any bleeding or contracting and I hadn't. So I was told that, you know, this pregnancy would feel different than my previous one because this was twins and that was a singleton and I shouldn't worry. And, and I didn't know how to tell the nurse that I knew something was wrong. I hung up and immediately called a midwife that I had a relationship with and <clears throat> shared what I was feeling emotionally, and she took me very seriously. She called um, another one of her friends, a perinatologist at a local hospital, and actually got me an appointment that very hour. She called me right back and said um, she's waiting for you now. She has like an, you know she's I think she was like free before her lunch or whatever. She had some free time, um, and she said pack a bag in case you end up needing to stay. And so I immediately started packing a bag, um, just kind of frantically. I felt this urgency. I started packing this bag and about halfway through packing, I dropped to my knees in labor. It was like zero to 60 and it was so intense. I had had a baby not long before, you know, it was just a little over a year before. And so I knew what real labor felt like. And this was real. It's like, I was suddenly in pushing phase within a minute of going into labor, it was like, I felt nothing. And then I was almost ready to push. I knew I didn't have time to even wait for an ambulance. So my husband rushed me to the hospital just a few minutes down the road. And within a few minutes of arriving, um, Sheldon, the older of the two twins was crowning. And I remember the doctor holding my face in her hands. It was like time stopped, and. It felt like a movie of someone else's life, but but this was my life. I was living it. I remember her saying, Emily, these babies are coming right now, and they're not going to make it. They are just too little. <laughs> and I knew it. I had known it. We didn't want to take extraordinary measures. Um, you know hooking our babies up to tubes and ivs when i knew they weren't going to survive i had i had felt that i knew they weren't meant for that so we took the time that we had with them to hold them and we heard their heartbeats we you know put the stethoscope on their heartbeats and we heard their heartbeats our the second twin um thomas even opened his eyes which the nurses were just amazed by babies that small don't don't often open their eyes Um, they were born at 23 weeks. And those were really sacred moments. And I don't regret that decision to hold them. I'm so glad that we had that time with them. They each lived for less than an hour. And every year I light candles on Halloween morning at 1125 and 1126 AM when they were born. And it's sort of the way I honor their lives and their places in their family, in our family. And that experience it it changed me. It continues to change me in so many ways. It it cha- it changed our family. It rocked our world. And ultimately, our little family doesn't look the same as it did. Like I said, the loss of our twins sort of set off this series of difficult circumstances. We hadn't had health insurance. Um, we were so poor and didn't have health insurance. And this was during the economic crash of 2008. So financially it, it killed us. We, we went bankrupt. We lost our home, our car. It was really difficult times. And, um, you know, this last October marked 10 years since they were born. So I've had some time and distance from the real epicenter of of all of that we we did have one more son a few years later who I'm so grateful for. I'm, I'm glad that um, that my older son has a brother. I'm glad my younger one has has an older brother they They just are the sweetest little buddies, and um, both of of those living sons from that marriage are just such lights. but my former husband and I we split up about a year after our last son was born and you know, it's just a lot. It, it was a heck of a decade. (laughs) I'm kind of taking a breath and having a moment here because I
0: personally, I don't know if any of the listeners of our show have ever been in a room with a baby that's been born premature. I have not. And so registering like, what this experience is like is really hard for me. And so as you've been telling the story, I've conjured up this image of like a very, very, very small bird, like just Mm. these tiny little fragile things. And there's so much that they're constructed of. And yet, you know, you can't, they're just so fragile. Like, and I'm just absorbing that image. Like, like, holy crap. Like my heart hurts. Um, think of this story for you and and i've written so many things down from your journey already the first word on my page right now is plane crash uh and i can see how you got there with this with this story like holy hell and and the first thing that i want to explore is something else i wrote down and that is the grief of not being believed because i feel like you You, to me, my perception of you, as we've been orbiting each other on the internet for as long as we have, have such a strong connection with your intuition. And even to go so far as to have dreams and to be like receiving, like downloading messages from the sky and from trains and like inanimate objects are delivering these things to you and you are open to them. And yet to be bringing these things to doctors and to medical professionals is like, and to not be believed. I think there's immense grief in that.
1: Wow. You know, I, I'll be honest, that is not something I think I've, I've explored for myself. I really, I know I, to some degree, I I know that I've held some energy around the fact that I called that morning. I can't remember if I said that, but that the morning of I, I called the, the doctors and, and they said, "Well, it's going to feel different from your first pregnancy. This is a twin pregnancy and it's going to feel different from a singleton." And it was like no matter how many times I said no, but I I I feel like there's something wrong. I it's not just different. It's not just that it feels different with two babies in my belly. It's not that. It's something's wrong and and I I have had some sense that like I've had to work through some anger around that, um not being believed there, but I don't think that I've really Explored the fact that I've had the dreams and the, the deep impressions, and that those weren't really believed. The first one who acknowledged them was when I told my friend who was the midwife, um, and and she said, "No, I, you trust a mother's intuition." Let me call, and she called her friend right away. And and I think really the only reason anyone listened to her is because she's you know the midwife, she's a mid, a medical professional, and so. But my voice as a mother, it kind of meant nothing, and I don't know that I have explored it in the way that you that you're talking about and it it is really deep. Yeah, and I think this happens
0: this happens in motherhood grief, but I think it also happens in like the larger umbrella of grief too. Like where people get these these hunches or these dreams or these signs that they immediately pick up on they're like something is happening. There's another episode of coming back that aired earlier in this season. And this woman as her husband was in the hospital and they were trying to figure out exactly what was wrong. She called her friend and the first thing she said was I'm going to be a widow and he wasn't even dead yet. And and she just, she just knew. She's like, I knew, I knew, I knew. She's like, I didn't know the weight, the gravity of all of that. But I knew that that was going to be my reality in a very short period of time. And it was in three weeks time. And I think, I think there's so much, emotionally and with grief and with intuition that gets discounted because it doesn't show up in the physical world and it can't a lot of times i think a lot of what we feel or what we intuit or what we believe to be true there's no there's nothing for us to hold on to and then there's an isolation almost like a, am i crazy in the midst of this too, because I've, nobody believes me. I, I feel this with every fiber by being, you said grief from the head to the bottom of your feet. Like it, that's a full body. Something's happening. Um, and, and I just think that's something that gets so, so discounted and so brushed away in our culture, unless we're talking about like talking to God or like woo woo spirituality kind of stuff. We, we forget that it's intertwined in the everyday. Like you had the stream, and then you probably like got up and made breakfast and took care of your almost one year old. Like you, this is incorporated with your daily life, but also these things yeah. have incredible messages um, for us. So I, I just want to say like thank you for sharing those
1: with us because those are powerful and very personal moments. Well, thank you for hearing it. I I don't know if you want to hear any more <laughs> any more of that story. Yeah, um, there is kind. Of- Part B, and the part B of that is um so that that marriage with my older kids, so i had I had another son after my twins, um, and that marriage ended soon after we we couldn't make it through the wreckage, we just couldn't it was it was a lot on our little family and um years went by I remarried i'm I'm remarried now um and we married. All, we're coming up on three years, and um, we—I again started experiencing miscarriages. So we had three losses, well, four. I had—I had miscarriages, and then my last pregnancy before my youngest son, um, I had an ectopic pregnancy, and that was another experience where I wasn't believed. Um, I had made an appointment with a doctor. I wasn't feeling well. <laughs> I had had what we thought was another miscarriage and I I wanted to be checked out and I went in and um the doctor <laughs> I, don't, I, I you know medical professionals there there is so much good that comes from from western medicine but sometimes I feel like uh at least in my experience that like I shared before is that when you're not believed you feel like well what do I do with that I don't have a medical degree um, I'm not the quote professional. So what do I do with the fact that I still don't feel well? Um, so I went in and, and, um, well, I had called and, and they said, well, we can't get you in right away. And I said, well, I had a miscarriage. I'm still not feeling well. And they asked me a few questions. Is this happening? Is that happening? And I said, no, none of that's happening, but I don't feel well and something's not right. And this is a pattern. I've had several miscarriages. Um, and they said, well, we can't get you in right away unless you're having these symptoms. And um, so they were going to get me in, I think, in like three days or something. And in the meantime, we I didn't know that my ectopic pregnancy had actually ruptured in my oh, body. God. And I started bleeding internally. Oh, God. <laughs> and long story short, I barely got to the hospital in time. I have a friend that came over and I thought I must have the stomach flu. I thought, well... You know, I'm nauseous. I'm getting sick. Um, this must just be a stomach flu. And I, I had a friend that came, dropped in unannounced. Basically, she she just felt like she had to be there. She said, "Emily, there's no way I can describe it. I just I knew I had to drive to your house, and I knew I had to basically let myself in and stay until the feeling went away." That was that was her description of it. And I and I tried to send her away several times. I felt so sick. And um, I mean, if you can imagine having this stomach flu. I finally like basically crawled to the bathroom and I yelled to her in the other room. I said, "Allison, you can go home. (laughs) Basically, I don't want you here. I don't feel well. And um, she insisted on staying. And um, finally she came in and said, Emily, something's not right. I'm taking either. We can call the ambulance or I can drive you to the hospital, but you're not, not going to the hospital. And I, I had felt so, um, humiliated, I think, in previous experiences that, you know, that, that I thought, I thought something was wrong. And, and, and it, I was basically told I was crazy, <laughs> or like, it's all in my head. And, um and I finally let her, I said, Okay, take, you know, take me to the hospital, she drove me to the hospital, they wheeled me in. Um, she took me into ma- the maternity section, because I had been pregnant, even though I had miscarried, and I, I I looked at the ER and I knew the wait was way too long. I was going to be there for hours before anyone saw me. And I thought, well, I've been pregnant recently, so take me to the maternity ward. I can get in quicker because there was no one in that hallway. And so um, she she they wheeled me in and um, they did an ultrasound. And immediately, I looked up on the on the monitor and it was um, it's it was one of those ultrasounds where it was like things lit up. And my whole stomach on the monitor was red. Like the oh, blood was just gosh. everywhere. And so it was an emergency surgery. They wheeled me right back. Um, there was like no time the doctor, my husband had just shown up because um, my friend had called him and my husband had just walked in and they just were informing him, your your wife is going in for surgery. And um, so they had to remove my fallopian tube and there was no, I had no warning. Like I just felt so shocked and and it was traumatizing, you know, in, in that way. And so, um, that's kind of what I mean by the plane wreckage. (laughs) Like it just kind of kept going, um, you know, losing our twins and then losing my marriage. It was the death of my marriage. And then several more miscarriages. I've been pregnant more times than I can count on my hands and then losing, um, my fallopian tube, part of my body. And that was a grief that I was not expecting to have such deep feelings and grief over losing a, a part of what makes me a woman. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the, (laughs) to make a short story long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can you speak more on that, that, um, that grief
0: of losing a part of your body, especially something that defines you as a, as a gender, as a identity that is so, I mean, it's, it's inside of you. It's no longer inside of you, but it was inside of you, but is also like, this is so energetically and symbolically tied to being a woman as well.
1: Yes. Well, like I said, it it was a grief process that I was not expecting. Um, I had talked to friends who had had, um, you know, elective surgery, like, um, you know they're they're having a hysterectomy or or something that they're they're choosing, and even that was a grief process. Even when they chose it, so I don't know quite why I wasn't prepared or why I didn't think that I would feel that same way. But I came out of surgery, um, you know, and and two weeks later I'm like expecting myself to be fine, <laughs> and I wasn't fine, Shelby. I wasn't fine. It it took well over a year for even just my physical healing and my my scar. It's been. Um, Let's see it's been almost 2 years since that surgery and it's still really tender. My body is still coming to terms with the fact that I was cut and it, and it was it was an emergency surgery. So what it's not like a really pretty cut. <laughs> it it it's it was intense. That whole experience was intense and um, like I said it's taken me a long time to to get to a point of healing. I couldn't I couldn't really walk. I had been really Active before I, I had you know in my younger years I was a professional dancer and very in tune with my body and and my my oldest son I I think I mentioned I had him at home I had really empowering birth experiences with with um my my son my living sons and and I just I had been really active and and after this surgery it it robbed me I felt robbed that's the only way I can describe I felt robbed I felt like something had been taken from me um like you said that you said it so beautifully that a a part that defined my gender. Um, and that, that has been, I'll, I'll admit, I I wouldn't say that I'm completely over it. I'm still kind of navigating and sifting through all that that has, has brought to my doorstep. And, And in many ways it's been beautiful because I feel like it's led me to some healing modalities that I was not familiar with, didn't know very much about. Um, and so in many ways it's it's been kind of a gift, a strange gift if i can call it that because it has it has led me to, down some paths that have been really beautiful um but it it definitely has been difficult and my family has had to really my husband has been so good but he he's had to kind of help me pick up some pieces and and each piece i pick up and i look at like he has to sit with me to you know, it's like, I need, I need witness. I need someone to witness what yeah. I'm experiencing and he, you know, he's, he's done it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's been easy for him, but he has willingly done it and, and sat witness for me and as I've cried and mourned the loss of my loss of m- my body, what, what it was before and what, what it is becoming even Um it's been, it's been a ride. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were looking for when you said to talk more about that, but that's what it's been like.
0: I think that's just so perfectly phrased. And the thing that immediately just popped into my head is like, I need a witness because I'm not crazy. Like the, the exhale that we receive from having someone sit with us and just be like, yeah, this is real. Even if it's, even if it's not the same thing that we're agreeing on, um, It's like, yes, this is the experience that you're having right now. And there is so, so much. It doesn't make anything feel better. You still feel like crap, but you're like, I'm slightly less alone than I thought I was in this. And I think it, it makes just the tiniest difference. And yet it makes all the difference in the world. Um, I want to ask a question that also comes up in a lot of griefs, but especially with the grief of miscarriage as well as losing babies. And that is as well as like a lot of medical procedures happening to you in you
1: at you. And that is, do you feel like your body belongs to you? Wow. That is a really powerful question. Um, you know, I think for me through this process, I think it has caused me to well, I, I don't wanna say it's forced me, but it has definitely led me to the point of stepping into my body in a in a in a deeper way, a more full way. I don't know how else to say that, but it's like I've had to fight to be in my body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because literally I've almost and I didn't even tell you about another previous <laughs> surgery that I had that was in another emergency surgery. Um, all of these experiences have ha- have brought me to the point of, of wanting to fight to stay here mm-hmm. and fight to stay on this planet, you know, not just for my kids or my husband, but like for myself, like when, when having those experiences, I, I realized how much I wanted that there was still so much I wanted to do here. And so this idea of embodiment really being in my body, I've had to kind of fight for it. And I think now I'm so much more in my body than I was in my twenties and my teens for certain, um, because I've had to fight for it. And I don't know, is that what you're asking? Maybe, maybe I should have, have you repeat the question. No, I, I, I think that's very well phrased
0: and kind of, I mean, however the experience shows up for you is however the question should be answered, because uh, this is not a podcast where I'm ever looking for specific answers to anything. Um, okay. It's literally just us having an, an intuitive journey together, because these questions are, I have no idea where they're coming from. When I ask questions oh. of guests on the show, I'm like, for some reason, this needs to be asked. And sometimes oh, like they repeat that. themselves, like, tell us your lost story is the anchor, and all of them, uh, and, and that's what we always come back to: is this is where we find unity, is what is your lost story. But everything else, it just comes through. It's it's a wild process. I have to listen to interviews again before they go to air because I forgot what I said. Like it's it's a it's a process. Um, but I I literally wrote down in all capital letters: Do you feel like your body belongs to you? Because like so much, especially in the medical system, especially in the westernized world, there's so much of being like whisked away and rolled away and gone into surgery and cut open and all this other stuff that rarely like we toe the line of consent a lot or autonomy or sovereignty in the medical world and it's such a hard thing to reckon with in grief because it's not something that's happening outside of us it's happening to us and on us and in us and it's something that we it's something that our hearts not only have to heal from but our entire bodies like there's a visible and like a physical thing that we have to to patch up from, um, and it's it's so hard to feel like we continue to our, to belong to ourselves when so many actions have been taken on our bodies and in our bodies that were not orchestrated by us. And I think this this bleeds into pardon the bleeding term but like this bleeds into like sexual trauma and abuse and violence and um, forced abandonment or isolation when things happen to our bodies that we do not want to happen to them or we're not of our choosing I think there's almost like a oh I'm getting chills um the pr- it's like a rehoming process we have to remember how to come home to ourselves when home doesn't look like home anymore or home doesn't feel like home oh anymore. Wow.
1: Yes. Yes. When home doesn't look like home anymore. That's exactly how I felt, Shelby. Like, you know, I came home from the hospital and, you know, and they say things like, well, you know, it'll be six weeks. There'll be like this healing process. And then, you know, but you'll really feel better. Like in three months, I remember this timeline. So I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm going to feel at home. I'm going to feel like myself in three months or whatever. Oh my gosh. No. (laughs) I don't look the same, you know, I have this, and at first, like the scar was so like, I hate to use this word, but it it felt hideous to me. Mm -hmm. I felt like, oh my gosh, this huge, I mean, and it's huge. It's a large scar. And it, and like I said, because it wasn't planned, it, it, it's, it's not beautifully stitched up. And, and as grateful as I am for that, that, you know, help was there for me when I needed it. I'm glad I'm alive. My, my heavens, I'm glad I'm alive but I, my body does not feel the same and, and it's never going to feel the same. And I, and it's gotten better. I feel better, but it's not ever going to be the body. And I'm okay with that now, but it's taken almost two years to get to a place where I feel at home again. And it's been, I would even say just the last few months that I've stumbled on a few more of these tools that have really helped me, um, somatically get back to where i'm feeling like okay this is this body is my home um it's it's really only been the last few months and it and that's a long time to feel out of my body to feel homeless yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's a great way of saying that. i um i wrote a
0: piece a while ago a lot of people don't know that there's a blog in tandem with the podcast but there is mm-hmm. and i I wrote a piece about when grief makes you feel homeless, but it was actually in uh, the context of a physical space, like when the physical space of home changes after someone dies and like, like their presence is no longer in the home, but also if there's still people living in the home, things get moved around and they're not where they used to be. And you come home, you're like, "Wow, well, that doesn't belong to me anymore. Um, but it can also be, be translated to our bodies. And I think there's something so Grief is already an isolating experience, but we almost get like double and triple whammied when. The building is no longer home, the body is no longer home, the brain is no longer home. Like, where the hell are we? Um yes. it's like we just get dumped off on the side of the road somewhere and it's like, okay, find your way home. And you're like, but which way do I? My compass is broken. Like I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> and and it's
0: you're like, I have you have given me no backpack, a defective compass, and I'm wearing flip-flops. Like this is gonna be the worst movie of my whole life. Um and we literally just like start down the road in one direction and eventually if that doesn't work you just like turn around and start going in another and you you i say that and it sounds very flippant and like uh like it could be in a like cutesy movie or something but like it is devastating to to walk for miles and miles and miles and then realize i'm i'm farther from where i started um i i want to ask because uh, you've talked about your your tools, several times, maybe if you could share with us some of the ones like maybe the top three or four that have helped the most, uh, to come back to that beacon or that rehoming process for
1: you. These are the things that have really, um, the last few months, especially, um, have been really beneficial to me. The first thing is, um, it's called alchemical alignment and it's by, and I want to say her name, right. That's why I was like, Worried that I didn't have it right because I want to say her name right. Her name is Bridget Vixnens. Um, I'm not sure. I know she lives in in the District of Columbia, but I'm not sure where that name comes from. But I think she's she's not from the United States. So I know you probably have listeners all over the world. So she's she's somewhere else, I think. Um, and her work is called Alchemical Alignment. And I just purchased she she has. You know, I th- I'm sure if you Google her, you can find her. Um, but I stumbled on her work, I think, through a podcast. I think she did some interview, and um, it's kind of like to me, it feels like a blend of Tai Chi and some other kind of movement. It's not exactly like Tai Chi, but it's it's like it pulls all of the it pulls parts both parts of your brain together with your body. Like after I do her movement sequence, that's what it's called, is the movement sequence. Um, I just feel like my body and my brain and my heart are all connected. So I don't know what that means to anyone else, but it has been really hugely beneficial to me. Um, Bridget Vixman's and alchemical alignment, um, the alignment sequence, that's what it's called. Um, another resource that has been really helpful to me has been Perry Nicholson on, on Instagram. He's called stop chasing pain. Um, he's got some his body of work is is really broad, but he has a lot of stuff, even just free content on his Instagram page that he helps people really tune in and and get their their bodies you know back in sync with with their hearts and their minds, I feel like um, And then another one, and I'm not sure exactly why this has been so helpful to me in terms of getting my body in sync with with my my spirit and my mind and my heart, is Randy Buckley um she has a a group called healthy boundaries for kind people and i think for me in all of this boundaries learning proper boundaries has been a huge piece um and now i'm kind of connecting that to what we were talking about earlier with with the medical field i think i was a bit in shock and traumatized after that whole experience not because it you know not because i didn't need the surgery i absolutely did but um I think had I had healthier boundaries and had known how to articulate myself in the moment, I maybe could have asked for things that, I mean, I won't go into detail, but there are a few things that happened that I think if I had had my wits about me and, and had healthier boundaries that I, I could have maybe requested a few things were different in that experience. And, um, so anyway, Randy Buckley, healthy, uh, boundaries for kind people, her work has been really beneficial to me as well. And none of those are grief but They're not centered on grief, by the way. <laughs> but they've been helpful to me
0: in my journey. So, And they don't always have to be. I, um, I tell podcast listeners a lot that the book that really sparked inspiration for my own coming back was called The Happiness Project, which is like the exact opposite of grief.
1: <laughs> I love that book. It's a fantastic book. And I actually can totally see why. Mm. I can totally see why that would be the long the
0: short story of it is that there's a part in the book where she says if you want to have a happier life do the things that you used to do as a child and one of mine was going to the library with my mom and my sister uh and in an effort to re-conjure that memory i got a library card for the first time as an adult and started going to the library and but everything i wanted to read i was like well what am i interested in because i don't really know myself as a reader anymore because the standardized school system will beat that out of you (laughs) Um, and i was like well what do i want to learn and then i was like well i want to learn about what i'm going through i want to learn about grief and then in like the course of a year i think i read anywhere from like 20 to 40 books about grief and i had all this wisdom i say wisdom i had all of this like reference material in my brain and i was like why are more people talking about this and then through a long series of events um combined with a lot of people telling me I should, that's how the podcast was born and how the work I do was born. But it was mostly just this like this curiosity and this like spark moment of like, Oh, I could, I could do something with that. But it's always these, I refer to this over and over and over again. It came up in a um, previous episode of coming back. I'm actually not sure what season it's in anymore. We're in season five right now. Um, But it's about how grief is like an involuntary scavenger hunt and you're kind of always trying things on to see if they fit. And if they don't, you kind of put it down and go on to the next thing. Um, and it's tricky sometimes because we get attached to things for a while and then we wear them for a while and they're like, oh, that doesn't really fit anymore. And so sometimes things will come in seasons and then sometimes things don't have a grief label on them. Like this thing about setting healthy boundaries, like that's important when you're grieving uh, to be able to set boundaries with the people around you, but it's not necessarily like the dominant thing that a lot of people are thinking of in grief. And yet it is. So it it kind of depends on um, what you're seeking. So I'm glad you shared those with us. I'll actually put a link to all three of those underneath your work in the show notes as well. So if people want to go explore them, they certainly can. Um, I want to veer into a totally different direction uh, at this moment and talk about your living sons, because I have seen wonderful pictures of them. They have just like such cool energy about them um but with this entire legacy this journey this plane crash that you have lived in a continued effort to get pregnant stay pregnant deliver babies that live like what is the story that you're telling your sons or are going to tell your sons about your life as a woman
1: Mm. Mm. my life as a woman well you know I'll just say it's kind of an ongoing conversation I'm not with my in public I'm actually really shy which maybe on social media maybe that isn't apparent I don't know (laughs) but in in person like in groups I'm I'm actually really pretty shy I love one-on-ones I love talking to one or maybe two people um But at home, I'm, I'm an open book with my family and I just kind of have always been talking about where I'm at with my kids. I, I think I, I'm not sure where I got this from, but you know, as I think as a kid, I always wanted to know what was going on with my parents because, you know, kids are so perceptive and we feel kind of all the ripples of what's going on but we don't always know what's causing the ripples and i think as a kid i was always really curious but never really knew or got answers from from any of ad- adults around me um i was the youngest of four kids and my mom was a little bit older when she had me so all my siblings are quite a bit older than me and so i always just felt like i was wanting answers and no one would tell me i was like the little kid running around trying to get answers and everyone was you know older and maybe, maybe they thought I couldn't handle it. I don't know. But I know as a kid, I was very aware that stuff was going on and I, but I didn't know what it was. So that's, it's a really long way of saying I've always been very open with my children. And so even when, you know, my oldest son, he was a little over a year old when we had our twins, um, I wanted him to see them. So we brought him to the hospital. They, They brought him to the hospital and he got to hold them. He was a year old, but like we, you know, we kind of sat next to him and, and he, he had that experience and even remembers, even remembers, um, when he was really, really little, you know, that whole experience. And, um, my son, Danny, because we always were, it was an open topic and my oldest son would, would talk about it like his brothers. Oh yeah. Sheldon and Thomas. You know, remember when they were born, like he would just randomly say things. I I don't know, we'd be driving somewhere and he would just randomly say something. And so it was kind of always in the air. They've kind of always been a part of our family, even though they're not living. And so even Danny, who was born after, um, and I'm giving the names of my kids, I I don't normally do that, but since you're <laughs> since I feel so comfortable, I'm I'm sharing with you part of my life, but um my boys have always kind of know that we have this relationship with with Sheldon and Thomas even though they aren't here on this earth um and that is part of my experience of being a, a mother being a woman I know not all women are are want to be mothers even, or, or have that inclination but for me that has been a huge part of my my womanhood um bearing children having children raising children um my youngest so i just had a baby he's 3 months old this week and um i had my two older boys were at the birth and the photos i had a photographer there the photos that she took of my boys there with me while i was in labor are honestly if my house were to catch fire those were that would be what i would take <laughs> my computer with my pictures because those images of my of my boys being there for me and witnessing you know a, a pinnacle I feel like it's a pinnacle experience for me as a woman giving birth um having them be in that space and bearing witness you know we talked mm-hmm. about bearing witness earlier that's another experience that bearing witness having my children and my husband there to bear witness with me as I'm having you know their brother their son um I don't know, it's it's transformative to me. And it's, it's it's an experience that we've talked about even since. It's kind of an ongoing, I'm rambling here maybe, but it, it's just so, it's been so impactful for my little family. And um, my kids to be there at the birth of their brother, it's just pretty cool. I don't know how else to describe it. And it was really healing. The, really what I'm getting to is that that experience was such a healing Thing for me um, after all of these losses, this plane crash. It kind of just—it was like the plane hit the ground and parts are flying everywhere, and it just is skidding, and parts are continue to fly. And then it rolls and tumbles, and it's like I feel like that birth somehow pulled all the pieces back together. I mean, it's, i look different. I'm not the same person that I was before I had my twins, and that's okay. I think I've grown. I like to think I've grown. I like to think that all these experiences have. Have helped me um, get a better grasp about life and have more empathy for other people and, you know, a, a variety of just people's lives. You know, we all have such different experiences, but it's like the human experience. Like, what are we all experiencing? And I think it boils down to we all have hard stuff. And that's okay. Like, that's what I feel like for me, my hard stuff has kind of been this tailored curriculum to. Help me find the person I am right now. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what feels true to me that um all this hard stuff all all the the grief that I've experienced, it's brought me to really beautiful things in my life, and sometimes it's just hard sometimes honestly, I don't know what the point is like i don't know I don't know that there's any great plan you know when when some things happen. I'm like I don't know if this is part of a plan you know, like I don't, I've, I'm, I'm a, a believer, I'm a, I'm a God fearing person, but I don't know that everything that happens in my life is like part of some great plan, but I do know I've learned from all of it. I do know that. Yeah. And I think that comes with that, um, that sense of being tuned in
0: also a desire to look at it and keep looking at it to get that conversation ongoing which I love how you phrase that because it's such a drastic turnaround from how you were raised. And I don't know if you're purposely doing it to rebel against the system in which you were raised, but you're like, well, you guys didn't talk about anything. We're going to talk about everything. And they're going to watch me give birth.
1: Um- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything, literally everything. My kids, we've had all kinds of conversations that like that had to be my, that had to be the way I went about it because that's what I needed or what I wanted as a kid. And so that's what I, I guess I still want that as an adult.
0: Yeah. And I think that's our, um, this is going to be a bold statement, but I think that's our natural state to have these things be so open and to have these conversations be ongoing and to not have anything that's like off the table or behind closed doors. I think that's our nature, which is why it's often so hard to grieve because the way that the world responds to grief is cover it up put it away don't tell anybody about it this doesn't really belong to you like it it um it's disregarded as an experience and it's it's solution quote-unquote if you can call it giving a solution to grief is not being fixed but to be witnessed and and that's it like that's that's how we make it through to the other side that's how we end up learning because i don't know that any of us enter into these life experiences with like i'm gonna learn something from this <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm on a mission oh, man, i'm it's- so excited i'm
0: having this challenge oh my <laughs> gosh we do not enter into <laughs> any of these things with delight or hopeful anticipation or anything um but that is what comes but it comes with with being witnessed and with doing the work too, with finding these things that speak to us, even if they're not related to grief. So I think that's a cool like permission that you inserted in here is like, you don't have to have it be related to grief for it to help you. Um, uh, Which I think is just so powerful as we're um, kind of rolling to the end of our conversation. I want to let people know where they can find you, but especially uh, your Instagram, because I have seen these pictures from I, this, I was literally crying on the bus. I was literally crying on the CTA because oh. you you pair your story with these photos so well and you you took your time and made it into a series. And I just thought it was so incredibly powerful. And as a woman who at this point in her life does not think she will ever be having children, it was just one of those things where it's like, wow, I get to see through that lens for the first time. Uh, and that's yeah. just powerfully cool is like the phrase that's coming to mind for me
1: yeah I love that that's how you experienced it because I do I know that not every woman wants that experience but I think just like there's many things I you know I will probably never skydive but man it's sure cool to like hear other people yeah. talk about that maybe that's an example but I learn from other people and their experiences so I'm glad that's how you how you see it too. yeah and there's also I mean
0: you can see the the strife and the celebration in it too, especially following you for as long as I have. I'm like, Oh, I see how we got here. Um, and not just like <laughs> logistically, like you guys made a baby, but like it, <laughs> like yeah, I, I not the science <laughs> of it, but, but the, but the journey of this has been more than this day. Um, which mm. is just really cool. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of backstory that comes up too. And I think, um, that it's important that you've been taking that with you. There's never been a time when that whole story hasn't followed you or, or been a part of you, which is just really cool. So yes, uh, let, let people know where they can find you and the work that you do.
1: Okay. So my Instagram is Emily Ruth underscore. <laughs> There's lots of Emily Ruth's out there, but I'm Emily Ruth underscore. Um, that's my Instagram. My website is actually down right now, but it's um, Emily um trying to think where else people can find me those are probably the big the big places i do have a a facebook page emily ruth coach on on facebook um it kind of automatically posts whatever i post on instagram so that's kind of but if if you're only on facebook that's you can find me at emily ruth coach on facebook
0: and tell us i know we didn't get into this in the interview at all but as a coach what is it that you help people do
1: Well, it's kind of a broad, (laughs) it's kind of a broad thing. Um, I initially got into it as, um, working with body image women who, who have had the experience. Maybe they've struggled with eating disorders in the past or just not feeling at home in their body, like you shared. Um, so I help women kind of step back into that, into embodiment and, and feeling more at home in their body, but it's really branched out, um, it's a little bit more broad. I, I hate to call myself a life coach because I don't know that I, I don't know that I feel like a life coach, but I'm kind of more of a life witness mm. or a, a doula. I don't know if your audience knows what a doula is, but I was a doula for several years. Um, basically a doula is, is, one who stands with a woman while she's birthing. She's not a midwife. So the midwife kind of does the, the medical stuff. But if you have a doula, it's someone who um, helps, support you emotionally and physically during a birth. And so I did that for many years. And it, it kind of led me to this space of, of just helping women articulate what it is that they want. So um, and then helping them find the resources to do that. So yeah, I don't know that I call myself a life coach. I'm more of like a life doula, but <laughs> I stand witness for women, um, help them find what resources they need and support them in, in, whatever it is that they're reaching for
0: I think that was well said and I think that is a thing I've heard of death duos. I'm like why not life (laughs) duels yeah yeah right I know Yeah. so I think that's perfect well Emily Ruth thank you so much for coming on coming back today and sharing with us in all of its horrific and wonderful glorious detail the, the story of your life and best wishes to you as it is ongoing as well
1: thank you so much Shelby I appreciate that
0: So that's all for this episode of coming back. Thank you so much to Emily Ruth, my longtime Instagram friend and wealth of wisdom when it comes to grief and the body and coping with life's biggest transitions. Emily Ruth came back by searching for practices to get in touch with her body and by sharing her story with others. You can find a link to Emily Ruth's website where you can learn more about her coaching in the show notes. For grief support beyond this podcast, go to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and receive instant access to a monthly grief support hangout with me. The next one, of course, is Monday, March 25th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. You can also apply for private grief coaching with me at shelbyforcythiacom slash grief-coaching. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, tell a friend about Coming Back because you never really know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Eddie Goldstein who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Cynthia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at griefguide shelby for cynthia, or simply shelbyforcynthia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you so, so much. Because even through grief, we are growing.